Welcome to Schooled by Cinema with Lexi Van Dyke. This is the film class you won't want to sleep through. Today on this miniseries, we are discussing cinematography. And um, joining me is Fiona Underhill. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. And no problem. Thank you for coming on. I am really excited to um, discuss this movie, which is going to be uh, The True History of the Kelly Gang. And the cinematographer is Ari Wagner. Um, and so you brought this film to my attention and I'm very excited that you did because it's <laughs> a very unique film. Yeah, I think so. It's, um, yeah, so Justin Kurzel is an Australian director and <laughs> his work, um, really deals with kind of masculinity and he's done like a take on Macbeth. Um, he's done quite a few sort of true stories. So he's done um, a film about a serial killer in Australia <clears throat> called Snowtown. And, and it's even more brutal than Kelly Gang. Like it's quite hard to sit through Snowtown is. Um, and he recently did a, a film with Caleb Landry Jones, which is about a, another kind of mass murderer. Um, it was about one of the very few mass shootings they've ever had in Australia. Um, so yeah, Justin Kurzel is like very interested in kind of men and power and uh -huh. also kind of like seeing history through different lenses and seeing how it can be reinterpreted depending on who's telling the stories. That's that's what I'm really fascinated about with Kelly Gang is that it, it's told from the point of view of like Ned Kelly and it's very much him telling you his his version of his own story and it's about sort of the unreliable narrator and the kind of mythologizing and making someone to, into a kind of legend before they're while they're still alive and he's trying to trying to control that narrative and feels like he's losing control of it and that's when things start to go wrong yeah there are so many pieces of this movie that you could break down but i think the cinematography is the kind of the key to it um and i'm kind of starting off by asking everyone um what does cinematography mean to you oh okay that's a good question <laughs> um i mean as as somebody who does like period films like mm -hmm. I, I it's one of the you know the types of cinema that i'm really drawn to and i think with cinematography a lot of people automatically think about beautiful landscapes mm -hmm. and that's that's definitely something you know obviously i'm attracted to that and i do enjoy seeing things like that on a big screen so you know vast landscapes that kind of thing but i do think it's important to remember that cinematography is it, it you know exists in, in many many forms and there's sort of extreme close-ups there's point of view camera work there's um you know using really using the camera as a tool um and I think what cinematographers do with lighting can be so interesting and, and clever. Um, and I think Ari Wagner is an absolute master. I know we're going to obviously get on to talk about her in more, more detail. But um, yeah, I think cinematography is can be easily misinterpreted. But obviously, they are the director's kind of right, right hand man, or in this case, woman. You know, they're, they're very much a team and it's all about <clears throat> the cinematographer is how the director's vision obviously is expressed. And, you know, they yeah. have such, a, such an absolutely vital role. And I think they really 
they can change everything about a film obviously how it looks they can change the color palette they they have you know so much control over over so many aspects of it yeah and this so this film uses a lot of very they, they use modern techniques in a very um interesting way to bring that kind of myth making to the forefront and how the myth making of ned kelly kind of drives him a little bit insane yeah definitely um and one of my favorite elements of what wagner does with the cinematography is at the end is um there's a kind of strobe effect almost so wow. there's um there, there's this kind of final shootout when ned kelly backs himself into an absolute corner with this insane plan with this bunch of like teenage boys who uh -huh. make up his gang and he's he's got this completely crackpot plan that had no chance of succeeding and it, it was this gang of sort of ragtag kids against the police Mm -hmm. and the police in the film are kind of styled to look like the kkk they've kind of got yeah these really scary kind of costumes where they've got like hoods and and you can't make them out as individuals at all they're kind of this faceless mass and there's a strobe effect and i think that ties in so well with ned kelly because the first narrative feature film ever in the history uh -huh. of cinema was about Ned Kelly. So Ned, wow, Ned, I didn't know that. That's amazing. <laughs> it is, yeah. So it's so interesting. So Ned Kelly has been around since like the birth of cinema, and there's been so many um, retellings of his story. You know, there's been many Ned Kelly films, and I think it's so interesting. Like what I say about these themes of him trying to kind of control his own narrative and to present himself as this particular kind of figure but then there's other people obviously wrestling with that his story and saying you know is he a thug is he a violent is he a killer is he a rebel is he this is he that is he kind of a people's hero and he's to this day in Australia he is a controversial figure because some people do view him as like a bit of a Robin Hood type figure mm -hmm. you know like a you know a hero of the people but then others just think oh you know he it's all nonsense and he was really violent and he was you know this and that and you can go to that um i i interviewed ari redner and she was oh, telling me um you can go to glen rowan and it's like a tourist attraction you can get like mm -hmm. a glen rowan keeping and it's just this kind of slightly obscene <laughs> obscene thing now and it's i mean it's the same with obviously lots of people in history like in yeah. in london in london you can do jack the river ripper tours mm -hmm. um and things so these figures because the further we get away from these types of historical figures the more they become very much a symbol they're not really a human being a multifaceted human being anymore they're just yeah. like a symbol of something yeah, this this movie makes him extremely human, and I, I think that that's always necessary in in films like this. And, and when you're telling a story of a person who is controversial and has, and in his case, wrote a lot about himself and his journey to where he was, and. It, this movie kind of starts off with him 
his writings and and him uh, giving a narrative to himself in the film. Yeah, definitely. So it's based on the book, by the way, which I think is uh -huh. a, a really, really important aspect of it. So it's yeah. a, a, a non non-fiction. Uh, sorry, a fictional novel. So it's a fictional uh -huh. retelling of Ned Kelly's uh, story. And it's very much from his point of view. So it's written in the first person, but it is, um, you know, it it is him telling his own story. And, and he's he keeps saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to sort of lay out the truth. I'm going to, uh -huh. you know, tell you how things really were. And, you know, the media have tried to, control the nar narrative kind of thing like as much as the media media existed in those days yeah um and you know i'm going to tell you the truth and and the way it's framed in the film is that he's telling it to his unborn child yeah and he he wants to he wants to leave a legacy he wants to you know he wants his child to know who his father really was um but yeah so the it, the film opens with him sort of laying out that you know i'm going to tell you my story i'm going to tell you how i came to be um but yeah you see that it he goes through obviously these kind of phases so you we see him as a young child mm -hmm. then we see him become ned kelly and then at the end there's actually a third stage which is the iron monitor which is what he becomes once he enters kind of glen rowan and he mm -hmm. dons this kind of weird armor <laughs> like they had yeah. you know Everything about it was so stupid. Like they made these really, really primitive kind of helmets to yeah. try and protect themselves. Um, and he becomes like he sort of dehumanizes himself before other people have the chance to. So in in his ultimately he's hanged. I don't think it's a spoiler alert to say that. Um, but you know he he kind of tries to control the manner of his own death, but then it doesn't work um so other people ultimately do have control over over not just his death but even like his remains so he leaves instructions for his remains and they're ignored so you know he it's just all about him trying to control his own life and then losing completely losing that control yeah and you see as he's a kid and sometimes it's sometimes when you watch biographies like this and you have the kid parts it doesn't it feels kind of like perfunctory like they have to set up that part but for yeah. this it's it's very necessary because first of all you're coming of age in a time when you become an adult like as soon as you're able to help the family which is like five years old like you are an <laughs> and you have to help and that is the 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 era that they were living in and yeah. so he is expected by his family by his mother to be the man of the house and you have essie davis playing his mother who is fantastic i love her she's one of my favorite actors she's just amazing yeah i i love her as well she's um her the real life partner of the director just in case oh okay but yeah but um yeah so yeah you've got this amazing character obviously in the first part of the film who is ned's mother and yeah she like you absolutely say she tries to make ned into the man of the house because the the drunk irish father is failing in that role um and she very much molds ned but she and then there's these two really important figures in the early part of the film which are mm -hmm. charlie hunnam's character he's a police officer um and then russell crowe's character who is like a 
outlaw basically he, he is basically what ned become mm -hmm. you know ultimately become so um <laughs> harry power he's very much the kind of chancer uh you know he's a criminal but he's he he's also i love how much he influences ned in that whole mythologizing and myth making as well because mm -hmm. he he takes him to this place called bullet creek and he's like every night you're gonna write you know your journal uh -huh. entry of what we've done that day and he's very he instills in there that kind of recording you know we're going to record our story we're going to keep tabs on what we're doing kind of thing um so yeah i do think that early part of the film is so essential yeah and uh so i find the this film is like stacked with amazing actors do you i know like <laughs> Some of their best work. It's really like Essie Davis being the mother, Charlie Hunnam being kind of the. I the I, I think it's I think it's one of his best ever performances, and the reason I think it's so good. One of the main reasons is that uh -huh. he's acting acting in his own accent. Yes. So mm -hmm. he's he's a Geordie. That's what we say in England. So he's, got, <laughs> okay. he's from he's from Newcastle, and that means he's a Geordie, and he's doing this performance in his own accent, and I think it's really. It, it really brings out the best in Charlie Hunnam. I think he's, you know, it's a really, really good performance. And, you know, he's not in it very much. Russell Crowe yeah. isn't in, in it very much. But I think, you know, what they bring to it is this massive sense of, uh, well, a fully rounded character. They are, they seem like real people who've been deposited into this world. And, mm -hmm. and, and there's also a little bit later on, there's Thomas and Mackenzie, there's Nicholas Holt. Uh -huh. Nicholas Holt also, I think, Yes, his, his best performances, I think, is so so good. They but, all yeah. have these strong, oppressive forces in his life, and he yeah. is trying to stand up to them always. Like Charlie Hunnam is like kind of the big fish in the small pond kind of thing. Like I get that feeling, like he's like really high on his own supply, almost of like oh yeah, being in this position of power. And then the Russell Crowe character is like extremely methodical like the reason he survived this long and is so successful is because he's so methodical and he thinks things out and he uh he brings that you know gravitas as they say <laughs> as that kind of actor and then nicholas holt is just amazing as the kind of like weaselly asshole like and he just i does love it, it so well I look, one of my favorite parts is when he's um when Nicholas Holt is threatening Thomas and Mackenzie and the baby. Okay. Um and then but then right at the end of that scene, mm -hmm. a another officer comes in and the other officer is an absolute child. The other yeah. officer is like a teenager and very noticeably younger than this Nicholas Holt. And you just get this sense of like who is running things around here? Who yeah. are these children who are in charge? You know, everyone is really young. It's it's what the film gives you is this real sense of Australia was an absolute wild west like it's yeah. that's why you know Australian westerns are absolutely a thing and they really have uh -huh. a distinctive character because it was such a lawless place and because it's so vast uh -huh. it's just what couldn't be controlled it couldn't be contained and so obviously there was vast amounts of uh criminal you know behavior going mm -hmm. on and it was so so hard you know when what Charlie Hunnam is trying to control the fact that they're stealing horses, they're stealing yeah. sheep and so on. But it's just too big. You can't, yeah. <laughs> you can't, you know, you would need thousands and thousands of people 
police to try and control this area because it's just so vast and so and they don't have that obviously so that it's just really hard to sort of contain and control and there's mm -hmm. this constant threat of things bubbling over violence of danger because it just can't be contained it can't be controlled and this this movie a lot shows a, almost a different part of australia than what we are used to at least you know being an american and i have never been there but you think of it either like beach or desert at least yeah. you know that those what has been presented to us is like that is the norm this was yeah. filmed it looks like in the winton wetlands and it was and and it's almost looks like england in some places like it's uh beautifully shot and shows off all yeah. the different parts yeah, so it's Victoria State, and what I love about it is that you actually see snow, snow in this yeah. movie, which is something you would never ever associate with Australia. But they do, <laughs> they they do have snow. You know, they really filmed it there, and they it was real snow. Like again, um, Ari Wegner like talked to me for like an hour about this uh -huh. movie, and uh, you know, it's really hard to film when all the boys are in dresses on um, the kind of mountain top in the snow scene. She said it was like really hard to film because they don't have the infrastructure there to really cope mm. with snow. And so all the vehicles and stuff bring them and keeping people warm, it was really hard. But yeah, I, I, I love the snow and I also love how the kind of barren, barren kind of wasteland feel of it as well. Yeah. Trees and and also there's a um, bit of jungle as well. So there's one like police shootout which takes place in kind mm -hmm. of a rain almost setting if, you, if you've seen the nightingale which is another australian uh -huh. that that's very very hard to, to watch again a big kind of morning yeah. with that one but um the nightingale is similar in that you get this kind of lush kind of jungle and, and almost rainforest scenes and yeah i love the fact that you see this different side to australia and you realize again how vast it is and it's so big it can have all these different climates and all these different uh you know sort of landscapes yeah because uh one of the things i read about you probably know more about this because you interviewed her but they wanted to make this kind of like a punk film yeah so um justin kurzel actually told boys the four main boys who play the gang to form a punk band and yeah. luckily luckily one of them is uh nick caveson so oh, <laughs> oh Earl Cave plays one of, uh, plays Ned's brother, Dan. Uh -huh. um, and then there's, yeah, Sean Keenan and the other actor. Um, and they formed a punk band, band for mm -hmm. real. And they actually played some gigs while, while they were kind of preparing for the film. So yeah, it absolutely has a punk sensibility. I think it really comes across in the costuming. Yeah. I interviewed the, the costume designer as well. Yeah. Um, and I think it really comes across, yeah, in the kind of costuming. I mean, the, the dresses are such an aspect of it that's really sort of stands out as distinctive. But, you know, it is based on some historical research is that is them wearing the dresses to kind of <laughs> i love what yeah. dan kelly says it's like oh we did it to scare the bejesus out of the english and to confuse them <laughs> basically it was like it, you know if if a man comes to a fight or to a shootout in a dress uh -huh. and it, then it just confuses confuses people so much that they <laughs> just can't cope with it basically yeah i love so i think the the idea of men dressing as women in this film is it's it's an interesting evolution of how it happens because you see him and 
Uh, you see that he finds out that his father did it, yeah. put on women's clothes. And then he kind of shuns that and thinks of it as like um, a not right thing to do based on, you know, the ideology at the time. And it comes back around when he grows up and he meets his brothers and his brothers have started doing it. Yeah. And he's like, that's gross. Why don't we shouldn't be doing this? <laughs> and then th they explain to him um as a way i don't know if this is like really how they felt obviously i'm really just <laughs> zooming at this point but they they say nothing scares a man like crazy because yeah. it's off-putting to see a man in a dress at this time and that becomes a part of their mantra and a part of their armor almost yeah absolutely and they all have slightly different kind of styles of dress so there's always yeah. like a, we a wedding dress feel like with the white lace and then there's yeah. like a flowery kind of dress but then ned actually only wears one dress and it's only yeah. right right at the end where he wears this black almost like a negligee kind of yeah feel. so it's a, bl a black sheer kind of dress with some embroidered black flowers and i i love that he he mostly resists the dresses yeah. right up until that very last scene where it's the glen rowan sort of strobing scene um but yeah the the dresses are just so so good and that uh, that scene where it's like the snowy mountain top and they're all in these pastel mm -hmm. dresses and they're surrounding ned who's giving like a pre-war speech you know yep. getting them getting them all jeered up and they're surrounding him almost like a sort of tribal ritual thing uh -huh. i just i love that scene so so much it's incredible incredible besides that the idea of clothing is very seems very important in this movie like they keep pointing out boots and feet and protecting your feet and passing on shoes and it's also this idea of when he's in the when he's in the brothel and he gives the woman the dress it's this idea of clothing meaning something because it's hard to get it's hard to make and it's a gesture of uh of power from one person to another and it upsets ned that his brothers have stolen the dresses from the brothel uh -huh. and he takes takes them back as a matter of pride and principle uh -huh. um so yeah that's like the value of the clothes but all, one of the other really important clothing points is when the child ned is given a sash yeah for, for for an act of heroism and he's so so proud of this sash yeah and he takes it home to his mother and he's and he like sleeps in it you know he's so yeah so so proud of it and it's yeah it's very symbolic it's very like you know these things are important and they're to be clung on to and so that part with the mother and him saving the boy yeah it seems like the turning point in the film because he had the opportunity to I guess you could say ascend out of where his class is, of where yeah. he him and his family is. And the mother rejects it as a way of keeping her control over him and her family. Yeah. And then it, it kind of backfires on her because he, yeah. he, he basically <laughs> runs away and yeah. stays away for a very long time. So I think it's it kind of implied it's around 10 years that he's away from the family home. But yeah, so he has the chance to kind of almost be adopted by a rich family and yeah. they offer to sort of pay for his schooling and things like that. But um, 
his mother is too stubborn, too full of pride. She's, uh -huh. you know, this is my family. They belong to me. And, you know, we we will survive together. There will be a family business. We will look out for each other. We uh -huh. will do everything in this kind of insular way. And I understand where she's coming from because they've had to um, circle around very tightly. Yeah protect themselves because you've got the police coming in all the time they're treated obviously as because the history of obviously irish convicts coming uh -huh. to australia we're not it's not really specified but they're not very far removed from it like so they may yeah. be sort of second generation or i think her husband is even like first generation irish yeah um so they are treated as criminals they're treated as outlaws from the beginning uh -huh. they're not trusted and then the police kind of circle them right from the start and she's like no you know we will sort of my family will bond together and we'll look out for each other and take care of our own so but yeah, yeah it doesn't, sorry, it doesn't work out yeah, <laughs> it, no, exactly and there's kind of this implication of the power of womanhood in this place like she is she is seen wearing pants and he ends up wearing, you know, the dress. And it's like this kind of subversion of these norms. And she's the one who ends up calling the shots. And she's the one who tells him at the end to die like a Kelly. It's like she holds all the cards and he's trying to live up to her standards. Um, and it, it's a really fascinating dynamic of this, these two people who can't break away from each other and are connected to each other in this like impassable impassable way yeah she's very much the catalyst for the whole ending so yeah he's he's doing it in his mind again it's a really stupid plan but in in his mind he thinks he's doing it to sort of save his mother so he thinks he's going to kind of blackmail the police i don't know <laughs> like blackmail the police into yeah like mother and whatever um but yeah so he can't escape her and she does absolutely hold power over him and control and you know it, it's ironic what you say about the kind of upending the male and female roles but then she yeah. spends the whole time saying um you know will you who's going to be a man around here yeah. who's going to be the man you know i will are there any real men in this godforsaken country she's, yeah. she's always uh, she's very much like a lady macbeth figure and i talked yeah. about when, when i was comparing it to Macbeth is that she's very much challenging masculinity and saying you know who was going to step up who was going to be the man and, and and all the implications that go with who is the man um yeah. but yeah it's it's really it's such a, she's such an interesting character and that whole dynamic is really fascinating it is and I don't want to imply too much as American an American looking in on the situation but it kind of feels like um symbolism for um the mother being kind of england and him being kind of australia in a way okay that's interesting i don't yes. know if i'm reading too much into it but that's just like a pop that thought like it <laughs> popped in my head as i was watching it yeah so the relationship with england is kind of touched on very briefly where yeah. the scene where um they're all in fancy dress and it's like yeah. a, they're in like a hall and george king is on the stage performing yeah. with his guitar and they're all in these incredible costumes and there's like head pieces and i think sean keenan is dressed as like an emu and yeah. there's people in cricketers whites and it's this colonial kind of party they're having and yeah. i think it's something to do with the king like uh -huh. some 
uh, some either a coronation or an anniversary yeah. or something but yeah so that's interesting but yeah them being a colony obviously infuses the entire identity of australia yeah. and especially at this time but yeah so it, um charlie Hunnam, hunnam's character is english and that's important yeah. to make the decision that he's english and they're irish yeah because obviously that's quite different <laughs> different and especially yeah, like different. Yeah. <laughs> and it's different in terms of who was in obviously in australia the uh -huh. english were in control and had all the power the irish were like i say very much considered the the outlaws the criminals the you know yeah. the bottom of society ari wagner is uh, a very fascinating cinematographer she has had a amazing amount of films for being as young as she is and you know the kind of topics that she's tackled um she's actually uh the cinematographer on one of the films i'm most looking forward to seeing in the next year or two eileen i don't know if you're how I, you feel I've, I've seen it because it was oh that my gosh. so yeah <laughs> i i loved it predictably okay. So I've seen seven of uh, Ari Wegner's uh -huh. movies and every single one has been like a certified banger in my opinion. Yeah. I, I know I sound very biased, but I just think her <laughs> taste is Im impeccable. I think she, who she, the filmmakers she chooses to work with are just like, she's made such, such good choices of who she works with, the kinds of films she's doing. And um, although you can draw some similarities between say Lady Macbeth and the Wonder. Uh -huh. Um but she also did Zola, which is yeah. you know a completely different kind of film and in fabric, which I absolutely loved. Um Peter a Peter Strickland film, which again mm -hmm. is completely different. It's near yeah. interiors. It's not like the big big landscapes that she's been known for from Power of the Dog. But yeah, yeah Eileen Eileen is really good. I loved it. <laughs> I really I'm so loved it. I read the book have you read the book? Oh, okay. I haven't yet. No. Um, I recommend reading it. It's, <laughs> I've heard it's like a little bit different. So the book is kind of like a, a kind of more like a novella. It's a really fast read. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to see that. I have, I've seen in fabric. I, um, find the, the visuals in that movie are some of the best I've seen on screen in like a long time. Yeah, I think he's he's got such a style, yeah. hasn't he? Peter Strickland, like it's he's got a very very unique style, um, <clears throat> and yeah, it's very strange. It's really unsettling. Like this kind yeah. of world he creates, like that department store in in fabric yeah. is just so fucked up, and <laughs> like like it's kind of run like a cult. And there's all this really disturbing imagery in it of kind of like ma mannequins and, yeah. you know, it's just, oh, I love it so much. <laughs> it's almost like, um, you know, like a scary stories we tell in the dark. It's yeah. kind of like that vibe, but like more adults. Um, it didn't completely work, come together for me, all the stories, but I love the acting in it. I love the way it looked. Um, the All the stuff with the dress is like yeah magic on screen it's so it's like entrancing to watch yeah uh, i i love this idea of a kind of haunted or cursed dress yeah. being being passed on um and i i find the ending really really unforgettable where yeah. it kind of start, descends through that department store and then it keeps going keeps going right. and you start to see what the different levels of the department store kind of represent and oh it's so <laughs> haunting i just i really love it 
and it's kind of like how she used in this film where she kind of used the like different it, it not quite strobe lighting but different lights um and different speeds to create that kind of effect yeah. um, i haven't seen zola i've seen power of the dog which is of course an amazing film and lady macbeth is like one of my favorite films yeah ever same. and that and uh, it's another period piece yeah so lady macbeth and uh the wonder are both from uh -huh. pew they're uh -huh. quite si similar obviously aesthetically because of like the period and again like the landscape and stuff but yeah i i mean lady macbeth is just such uh you know what a breakthrough role for florence Pugh. I yeah i think she commands the screen and the way you know ari wegner frames her and you know Florence Pugh is just there in the frame and and wow. where she is in the frame in relation to the camera and to the set at all times is so so precise and so striking you know she just Florence Pugh just absolutely commands that film and the, and the screen all the way through in your attention oh, yeah, and that, yeah that film almost creates like a small portraiture in its um in, in the way it frames her and the house Absolutely. and the lighting that they use and the and the characters it, it like that that movie is like such a stunner and i'm i is he coming i think he's coming out with a new film soon i can't remember the name of the director so that is sorry no it's okay <laughs> Sorry, it was getting darker and darker, no. and I was gradually, gradually disappearing. Um, <laughs> um, so he is the director of Eileen, I believe. I hope I haven't got oh, that completely wrong. One. Yeah, yeah, be the yeah. Same yeah. So yes, that absolutely works. She's also working on Ethan Cohen's new film, by the way. Oh, okay. So that, that, that's cool. what that's what she's working on at the moment. Yeah, so this film actually, have you ever seen The Lost City of Z? Yes. I, I got a lot of those vibes in this movie of like the descent into like kind of losing yourself in in your own journey a little bit. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, and Ned Kelly absolutely kind of drinks his own Kool-Aid and, <laughs> and um, you know, he, he, he definitely at such a young age as well it's so funny to think of what he imagined himself to be and it, it's he's simultaneously so kind of like a, a, somebody who's like a late teenager early 20s and because yeah. his ideas are so stupid but then also you know like we were saying about the you know he's had to be the kind of man of the house from a young age so he's very mature in some ways but very immature in other ways and i love that clash in his personality where he's he's got these crazy ideas and he does he just gets some power and he does achieve some things but then you know he, he he's very also self-destructive and 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 you know he just kind of blows the whole thing up because he doesn't know how to cope with it because he's not mature enough basically he's just like oh yeah you know it will be wow. fine. I'll, I'll do this i'll do that i'll take on the entire melbourne police force what you know <laughs> that, 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 that. <laughs> He, he's obviously intelligent like he's smart yeah. he knows how to write he knows how to compose um and and there's like apparently he wrote this letter to john byrne that was like what was it eighty eight thousand word long letter it's called the jared Derry letter 
about and I wonder if a lot of that ended up in the book and a lot of that became his perspective of yeah. how but he just didn't know the correct way to funnel his intelligence and it just became exactly. him um taking all these pieces like he takes the idea of the monitor as being i think it's a submarine right or like a boat yeah yeah it's like a warship basically yeah so it's, it's a battleship and so the whole um the uh, small kind of aperture windows that uh -huh. you see throughout the film so in the kelly shack at the start in uh harry power's bullet creek there's again uh -huh. these kind of slit windows and then at glen rowan at the end um, so the whole idea of there only being very small windows that you can stick a gun, like yeah. the end of a gun through, but you can't, it's obviously to protect yourself. Uh -huh. um, so that that becomes kind of a running theme for the film and also the helmet as well, with like the small slit for the eyes as well. Um, so he basically tries to make himself into, yeah, a battleship. A battleship. <laughs> and, and yeah. And he thinks again. It's very. It's similar to the dress. It is this mask. It's an armor. It's what he believes will be intimidating. What you know, he's trying to don this kind of costume to intimidate others, and it just doesn't really work. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the relationship with him and Nicholas Holt, I think, is really. It's this this these two side-by-side -side journeys that end up pushing into each other because they are just like literally like passing each other in a brothel pretty much and then they end up being friends and then they end up being contentious because uh his brother stole something or something or no i think it was like his stepfather or something stole something and they're trying to um keep him out of jail and Nicholas Holt is also trying to woo his sister um, because he's just kind of like a lecherous wretch and ends up betraying him. And that kind of sets, sets uh, him, Ned Kelly, on his journey. Yeah, so they're, they're of a similar age. Like, they're obviously uh -huh. quite similar types in some way. I, I mean, Nicholas Holt is English. He's obviously quite yeah. posh. Um, yeah. and, Ned, and Ned Kelly isn't. Um, but sorry, my cat is starting to destroy things just outside in the corner. It's okay, no worries. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they Nicholas Holt, um, yeah, he's got his fingers in many pies of the Kelly family yeah. because he kind of he promises that he can, uh, yeah, try and get his brother out of jail or prevent him from going to jail. He's trying to wound Ned's sister, um. Uh, and also there is this sexual tension. So I would argue yeah. that there's sexual tension between <laughs> Ned and Nicholas Holt. Yeah. Also, there's that really fascinating, creepy scene where he's kind of interrogating Ellen, Ned's mother. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Nicholas Holt is kind of pleasuring himself at the same time. Yeah. And it's it's this really, he's so sinister and just sort of creepy and... The way he was and then he, there's a my favorite scene actually of the whole film it's the one where is the iron monitor scene it's the one where uh -huh. ned goes and visits him and nicholas holt is like eating a lobster yeah. and he's got this young girl with him and then and he introduces the idea of the iron monitor to ned and then 
my favorite piece of music in the whole film. I love the score so, so much. This score it's, is fantastic. Oh, I love it. So it's by Justin Kurzel's brother, Jed. Oh, wow. Who, again, I also interviewed. So um, <laughs> you know gets, everyone. I know. It's because I'm so obsessed with this film. It's that I, I literally tracked them all down so I could talk to them about it. Um, so <laughs> the after the iron monster scene it goes into this piece called riding on where they go out on the horses in the snow and it's this haunting woodwind and oh i'm just obsessed with that scene and that piece of music i love it so much yeah it's almost like there's like these humming notes and then this loud bass which kind of like pulls into the idea of like a a punk thing it's like very unsettling like these sounds kind of don't seem like they should go together but they're mixing them together anyways it's very discordant and yeah. he, he he made it by overlapping a lot of different sounds so yeah he'd have like a string quartet or something fairly standard but then he would overlap it with other sounds um but yeah it's very much like a sort of uh, there's a lot of scratchiness to the score like yeah. scraping of sort of you know a, 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 of strings of being you know it's not a kind of pleasant sound or what what we're used to from a lot of period movies where you know you get melodic strings yeah this is like scratching and you know noises that aren't necessarily pleasant but i just think works so so well in the context yeah it does it reminded me of the score for we're all going to the world's fair like oh okay very much in that kind of like unsettling lots of texture like almost outside noises mixed with like other beats or other like notes to create that unsteadiness it's it's yeah. fantastic oh so good the the music is just incredible and it's so well edited in with the scenes as well um yeah I, the, the way each kind of piece of music pairs with the scenes is very very well done it is so i think the way she uses these modern techniques i think is very it could come off it could by anyone else in any other movie with any other setting come off as kind of uh like they're trying too hard to make something interesting or make something different that's a period piece um and for this they use it in small doses to amp the stakes of the film Mm. like you see a little bit of strobe at the beginning and i and it's like you see this strobe where he's um giving a little bit of narration and it's like him as a teenager him as a little boy him as a teenager and he's in the forest yes. but it's only for like a minute and, and then it, it goes back between them yeah yes yeah yeah it's almost like one of those like twirling lights with the cans with the lights inside where it makes that kind of look um and then it, it the movie continues on in kind of a more um more i don't want to say normal but like yeah it's just straightforward way straightforward yeah. yeah i guess so straightforward and then you you kind of start feeling it as when you have that first attack scene i think that's what you're talking about in the jungle yeah where you have um, the, the cut the camera is like right on yeah the body cam shot. yeah it's the yeah. body yeah. cam thing yeah 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 and, I, so i talked to her about that yeah that's it, it's it's not used a lot it's just used like a few little scenes to 
we kind of show you the mat like a little bit of the madness and how he's seeing it and he like cuts off that guy's ear <laughs> it's just like very very disconcerting yeah and he becomes what he despised about harry power because yep. harry power uses this uh like mutilation as well yeah. and and ned hates it you know he really riles against it and rebels against it but then obviously he becomes that very thing that he said he didn't want to be but yeah i love that scene and with the jungle and the police because and it's very much um you know his friend his best friend is shouting at him you know don't do this don't do this and he just decides he's going for it and i think that having that camera so tightly on ned is very much like he's going out on a limb here he's going out and doing something crazy and stupid that he shouldn't be and he's kind of on his own at that point yeah i felt so the john byrne character is like very sympathetic like he he is I wonder if he's like kind of in love with him. Like, like I don't. Oh yeah, that the the introduction of them. So the yeah. the very first introduction of adult Ned is yeah. his friend Joe Byrne is like their faces are so close and yeah. they're kind of wrestling and that's when yeah they're they're uh, you know they're on top of each other basically and yeah. then there's another part where like they're spooning in a like yeah a camp, that's like yeah, right in, before in the attack, attack scene yeah yeah and they're like spooning and they're like. He's like repeating his mantra a little bit and he's like he's like something about like I I wish we didn't have to do this or something along those lines like kind of like pleading with him not to do this cuz he doesn't want to this is not his like fight but he is alongside this person he's kind of like assimilated himself into his ideology almost like you know like a like a prophet in a and uh what's that what's that called the person who follows them i i i, I don't i'm losing my words here but it's like kind of like that. yeah like an apostle a follower apostle yeah. yes there we yeah. go apostle yes so, yeah so um yeah absolutely i do think joe Byrne is like i've invested everything into this person i'm gonna have to follow them almost like in the cult or or like yeah. somebody who's obsessively in love um uh, my my favorite line i think in the whole movie is him yeah. saying him saying to uh, ned uh, they've got donuts <laughs> in america that is like <laughs> biting into a fucking cloud they reckon yeah. and then ned's like i don't give a fuck about no donuts <laughs> <laughs> it just makes me laugh so much because it's directly after this whole scene that we're just yes. talking about with the cutting off of the ear and everything and it's so ridiculous this conversation about donuts but it's so sweet as well like i think you know his best friend is trying to save him from himself yeah, absolutely america like let's go let's get <laughs> out of here but he's so tied to his family there there's no way it would ever happen he's never gonna leave no no way um and then we get into like the big ending piece of this film well actually i guess we should talk about the school teacher scene which i found very interesting and the fact that it comes right at the end you have this one scene with him and he's in a prison and there's this school teacher who's like um i could never i always wanted to be a writer but i never could and he ends up selling out Ned Kelly to the cops. Yeah. I don't, they ever mention, I don't know if they mention why he's in prison too, but I just found that to be a 
like that note right there and then the ending scene to kind of demythologize everything that ha this film has been building up to this entire time yeah because you what a lot of what we know about ned kelly in real life is from the point of view of that teacher yeah so that that teacher because when ned is saying like oh i need help with the passing uh, uh -huh. the teacher did end up kind of writing down a lot of ned's story and then a lot of what we kind of know about him since is, is from the point of view of, that, of him rather than in first hand from ned oh okay so so uh you know this is why ned is keep saying you know i want to be the narrator of my own story tell my own tale kind of thing um but yeah he is brought in a bit late that teacher it might be slightly confusing that maybe he should have been in it a little bit more because he he is an important character and, and it's very important at the end where he gets to say the final lines and he's in front yeah. of a big crowd and he gets to but what i love about it is that we the very first thing he says about Ned we know isn't true and so we yeah. know we can immediately see that Ned's story is being uh, kind of butchered already it's yeah. already being it's like hang on you know <laughs> you, you're already lying about him you're already yeah you know twisting the story you're all and, and and that's and we know that Ned was right Ned was right yeah. to say you know I want to be the one to tell my own story because as soon as he dies, people are lying about him and, or, you know, twisting what happened, the narrative to suit their own purposes. Yeah, so, it's it, yeah, it's all being rewritten even while he's like not even cold. Like yeah. he, people are trying to push down these stories of him to not, and it's just like the idea of power trying to put squash out any kind of. Um, any kind of rebellion uh, yeah rebellion and they're obviously afraid that people will see ned as some kind of folk hero which obviously he was seen as and that yeah. they're going to start to you know follow him and rebel themselves so yeah they had to sort of immediately be like no you know he was this he was that he was a butcher a thief a liar a this he was that <laughs> And and that's really where you see him in the first time in that kind of black negligee dress. Um, and then you see the school teacher and he is, his costume is interesting. He almost looks modern, like a lumberjack and his like nice flannel shirt, his yeah. coat. You're kind of wondering why is this guy here? Like how, how did these two, I, I mean, I guess it's through writing. And he also mentions that, you know, he always wanted to be a writer, but he didn't, he never had the talent or he, they said some kind of interesting way of phrasing it. And it almost feels like jealousy a little bit. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it definitely is. And it's je jealousy of Ned's uh, notoriety, you know, of Ned's fame, um, of the fact that he is this kind of legend and yeah. And it's funny with the teacher kind of critiquing Ned's writing as well. It's uh -huh. like, we, we can't have this, uh, you know, son of an Irish convict being seen in any way as like a intelligent, you know, as yeah. as, as erudite or as eloquent in any way. You know, we, we can't be having that. So I'm going to sort of critique his writing. I'm going to editorialize him. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to change things. And yeah, I, I just think it's so such a complex story. And I love films 
that really play with truth and reality and we can see it being manipulated in front of our eyes and and we question a lot of well of like hang on you know what is true here and what what is a lie and you know and also the fact that people are acting people are lying mm -hmm. and you know people are creating characters and the whole costuming again the mask and creating something that isn't isn't you really um i just love films like that yeah i love films that allow the audience to fill in the gaps for themselves like you know the only reason like i would want to know that is because i'm trying to explain it on this podcast Otherwise, if I'm just a viewer, like discussing with someone, I don't need all those plot holes filled in. I yeah. can make the assumption I can infer or I can just like let it gloss over me and I'm totally fine. The actors, the visuals, everything is filling in enough of the story and giving you enough questions for you to feed off of. Absolutely. It, it completely allows you to draw your own conclusions. And uh -huh. and in terms of being sympathetic with Ned or a seeing, you know, or whether you kind of go against him and don't like him, I think it really leaves that up to you. I don't think it, you know, obviously we do get start to get a little bit of empathy with him because we've seen him from being a child and then grow, growing up and so on but also you see him make mistakes you see him being making really stupid decisions you know it's not a completely uh you know lily white portrait of a perfect person in any mm -hmm. way you know he's very flawed yeah. and we see we, we absolutely see those flaws so i think it really le leaves it to you to you know how much you view him as a hero or a villain and you know, do you, which side you want to sort of land on. Yeah, I love it when complicated art comes from complicated, comes to portray complicated people because I feel when you, especially with biographies and or like, you know, documentaries or any of this stuff, if you, if you only portray them in one light, then you're not doing a service to that person or their story. Exactly. And like I say, for somebody who has become very symbolic, especially in yeah. Australia, um, to actually try and give him some humanity and try and, you know, go a little bit into, obviously you can't portray everything in a in the runtime of a feature yeah. film, but to try, try and give you a little bit of his backstory and a little bit of how he came to be the man he, he, he ended up being, you know, I just, I just think it's very, very interesting and uh, very well done. Yeah, especially here. And then we get to the, the last scene, one of the last scenes of the movie, which is the kind of raid scene of the police against Ned Kelly and his gang. And this, we had mentioned before we started recording, this this scene alone would be worth seeing in a theater. It yeah. is a spectacular use of uh, auditory void and the using small glimpses of light to bring certain attention and lack of light to bring certain attention uses both your ears and your eyes to um kind of heighten everything about this scene yeah the the bullet holes in the side yeah. of, the, of the it's basically just like a shack made of like uh -huh. sheet metal you know more yeah. or less um and then the bullet holes create shafts of light and it just becomes this horrific vision and i think it really gives a sense of what it would have been like to be there because it's, yeah. everything's so confusing everything's so loud there's all these light shafts 
and you know joe burn is just there screaming and yeah. just you know everyone uh, and this is the thing is that it very very quickly dissolves into this complete hell and the yeah. boys all just abandon Ned Kelly very quickly yeah. because they they realize it's like hang on this has all gone horribly wrong yeah this is a disaster let's get out of here and Ned yeah, is very very much determined to carry on and he's uh -huh. like no I'm there I, I'm monitor <laughs> I, I can do this kind of thing and then we just see him and he's got I think a lighter I think yeah Wagner told me to just to light him and and he goes out into the dark and there's just that that really really chilling line of policemen and wow. um, they're all they're just this faceless mass and it, it's really scary very yeah, scary they, they could have done that in any number of ways and the fact that they used like almost a glow light against yeah. these white um hoods gives that kind of like um enemy effect like you know that these guys are bad and you know and you don't need the guns you don't, you don't even see the guns you just see them in these in this line of um of of impending doom basically against ned kelly and his gang yeah it's very stylistic but at that point it's very i mean there's been theatricality in like yeah. we were talking about that scene in the in the sort of forest where it flashes between uh -huh. young young ned and adult ned uh, there's been flashes of that during it, but it really comes to a head in that final scene where it's very sort of stylized. It's very much like this. This is like a symbol of who the police uh -huh. are. And this and Ned is very much a symbol of, with the Iron Monitor. And it's you know they are this kind of faceless enemy. Ned is on his own by the end of it because <laughs> the boys have all just yeah either, they're, they're, they're either dead or they've run away. You know they've abandoned him. And so, yeah, it's just kind of him against this mass by the very end of it. Yeah, and I, I wasn't sure. So, I went the in in that um, kind of farmhouse or whatever that they're hiding out in. There, the people in there are they hostages? I think so. Yeah, they're okay. hostages to begin with. But yeah, again, yeah. I think, I think all that kind of goes wrong and just kind of dissolves fairly quickly. Yeah, it does because I, I, because I wonder, did they get them off that train? Because they were talking about that train, the train, and attacking the train. Yeah, and and I just th I think about it because you have that part where the mother is screaming because her son has been killed by these gunshots, and it, it's and and so just thinking about that part of like how where did they come from kind of thing but i guess the assumption is that they are they are hostages and yeah. then you see him come out and stumble out and you see the um, line of english attacking him and i love the body cam usage in this scene like sometimes it can be a little like uh makes you a little bit dizzy or like mm -hmm. It, it blurs what it's actually trying to accomplish but this it's showing that this is this is his battle he is the one doing this now he <laughs> is the one with the fight you see it strictly from him and you see him the body cam is right there against the um the mask and you just see that slit of his eyes yeah. and then you see through the slit also at, out at the at the British and then also the burning house, which I think was where, you know, his brothers and like a few of his people were and it's on on fire and they're getting burnt alive or whatever. And you see it him fall and you just see the part that his eyes would see in in the mask. It, it's incredible. 
It is. It is incredible. Like the technical kind of achievement of yeah. it is just insane to me. Um, but yeah, it's it's so well done and like and it just keeps you with Ned that whole time and really keeps that point of view really strong of having us sort of aligned with Ned um at the end. Yeah, it's incredible. It's and it's also fairly simple. Like these are fairly simple things. And I I didn't I'm doing an episode on the Matrix, it might have come out by now. But like one of the things in when I was researching that was that they were just using techniques that were already around. They were just using them in a different way. And this is like the same thing. Using a body cam, putting a camera in a little slit, like using day neon lights and lighting it that way. None of this is entirely complicated or need digital effects or anything. It's just knowing yeah. how to use these techniques properly. Yeah, definitely. And I do think it's got a bit of a handmade feel and a bit of a yeah. old, old fashioned filmmaking in a way. Like yeah. I said at the start, that kind of fits the fact that Ned Kelly is like one of the first ever films. And I do think it goes <laughs> back because it looks like a silent movie. That strobing effect yes. ma makes it look like a silent movie. You know how uh, the flickering, like, like in early movies now, we see that uh -huh. kind of flickering effect. So I do think it's a very clever kind of, um, you know, nod back to the the origins of cinema. Um, but yeah, so earlier, a lot of the scenes are just shot with um, the lighting. It isn't even candles. It's like oil lamps. Yeah. Uh -huh. those, those like little bowls that you can get with oil and just a flame in. It's all very uh -huh. simple techniques. And that shack was built for real, like in the in the landscape as well. It wasn't a set. It was like oh, wow. you know they re they really used that Ned Kelly shack. Yeah, it's it, it's so incredible. Is this your favorite of her films? It is, yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I really, I don't expect everyone who sees this film to feel the same as I do about it because I acknowledge that I am obsessed with it. But like, it was easily my favorite film of 2020. It's my favorite film of like the last five years. I just think, I, I just think it's incredible. I do think the cinematography is like a huge part of that. Um, but also the acting, the costumes, the music. Yeah um i just think it's such, such a good film i love it and then is your um is your second favorite in fa in fabric because that was oh. the other suggestion um lady macbeth as well yeah i think yeah. it would probably be between those two yeah so in fabric and lady macbeth will probably be my other two favorites of hers but i do implore people if you haven't like seen zola because Zola, it like if you're aware of Ari Wegman's uh -huh. work at, at all from Power of the Dog, you would never in a million years think that she was the cinematographer of Zola. It's yeah. um it uses um incredible like mirrors and lights, um, you know, sort of like neon lights, disco lights. It's uh -huh. just it's it's so so good and really, really well shot. It uses like the Florida locations really, really well and it's it pits these two women um it's very much a film about two women who are like opposing but also like they're very much kind of two uh -huh. sides of one person but it, oh, it's just the way that she kind of puts these two women together and oh it's amazing 
I love that. That's, I think that's one of the few I haven't seen. I haven't seen the wonder in that one. I think those are the only two I haven't seen. So I'll have to check them out. Um, but the end of this film is, is very powerful because it brings back that idea of him looking back on his younger self because you have the scene with his mother in the jail cell yeah. um, and, and her encouraging him to like die like a Kelly still, you know, <laughs> being the backbone of, uh, of his demise a little bit and his, you know, she and, absolutely is. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you see him going to be hanged and she's advising him on how to handle himself and he sees himself with the sash that's his yeah. like last image of himself with the sash and it's like you see that little boy and what he could have become and yeah I, I i really love that hanging scene because i think it's a see it's a scene that we've seen in many films yes but I think it is done in quite a unique way in this movie. Um, the other thing is that, that he has with him is that he's worn a red shirt throughout the whole of the film. Uh -huh. So uh, up until the moment when he goes into the black dress, he's uh -huh. worn this red shirt. And then when he's hanging, he has a little piece of the red shirt around yeah. his neck that he's kept with him. Um, so, yeah, he's but I, I really like the way we see the hanging kind of from a distance and then um him just sort of obviously dropping and then it pushes down. out yeah yeah i also love him the certain parts of the movie throughout is him standing in front of things like they do these still shots of him standing in front of i think it's like a flag or something like in the middle of the film when he's kind of a teenager and then before he's getting hung, yes. like him against the wall and they, they do it with him as a kid too it's like just these like you know 10 second shots of him His like his Sorry, his, ad, his adult introduction is incredible because yeah. he's like uh, he's upside down he's like contorted his body and yeah. we see him like with his he's bent his back and so his face is upside uh -huh. down but yeah he's in front of uh, it's a British flag actually yeah. which is and then they use that in all of the marketing which I then I then thought was a bit of a confusing message to send yeah <laughs> it's like, maybe don't use the British flag throughout your like marketing <laughs> for Kelly Gang because it doesn't really make sense but I mean obviously the scene because it's a box Boxing club yeah. that he's in, um, and obviously it's a colonial kind of club. But yeah, um, yeah, his introduction is so cool, and it's just that that sinewy physicality of um, George Mackay, who yeah. prepared for that role by losing a lot of weight, and then he go goes into that boxing scene. He's really animalistic. He like uh, does yeah. a bit of like knuckle dragging on the floor and stuff like yeah. that, gearing himself up a bit like a gorilla. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it is great. And then you have the last scene, which is the school teacher basically like trying to, like being, being adversarial to his legend a little bit and sharing like controlling the narrative exactly yeah. exactly and being like this this is this person is not who people think he is he was you know he was a criminal we shouldn't believe what he says yeah I, I mean it's very sad that that is the last scene but I also think it's extremely fitting obviously with the theme of the is. whole movie um because it's like i said you can immediately see that his ned's life is already being taken from him and yeah. his story being changed and controlled and kind of used for a uh, propaganda in a way and yeah 
Yeah, any other film would probably end with him, like, like maybe like a shot of him as a kid or something like that in a happier spot. Like you can absolutely see another film ending ending in that way, and it's it doesn't have the power that this does. It's like you see him hanging from the ceiling and everyone's already talking about him as if he's a like like a lunatic i mean he kind of was a little bit of a lunatic but he also had the reasons and that's the whole reason this film is being gave you his whole backstory is to show like this is what happens to people who are under extreme amounts of pressure and all of they get is like negativity like they they are criminalized they are patronized this is what happens to these kinds of people definitely yeah um yeah i think you absolutely have to have those early scenes for the ending to have the power that it does yeah and i i think the the it's kind of interesting they have the thomas and mackenzie scenes in there as kind of a way she's almost like a a mother figure to him that he never had like that nurturing figure through his life um i kind of wish they had a little bit more time together i mean this is me but (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I do like that part and uh, do we ever find out what happened to nicholas holt um i think he just would have carried on just like, i mean going I, I, I couldn't remember i was like did i miss something in that he like they had like a confrontation or something i feel like like that would have been i don't know uh, it's kind of interesting to see that they didn't comment on that but i mean maybe mm. that's the point like he did just carry on like this was just, just a blip in his on. life yeah exactly and this is just one of many of these types of families who he, he wouldn't yeah. he wouldn't have seen them as being particularly special or standing out you know there would have been another family for him to move on and terrorize yeah it just makes me think of like that Mad Men scene where he's like i never think about you it's like <laughs> it's like he has that kind of energy of kind of like i don't care you're just another like pawn in my in my life and getting to what i want yeah definitely well do you have any last um notes or anything you want to share um i just really strongly recommend that you <laughs> that you obviously watch this film but yeah also also check out um ari wegner's filmography yeah and and justin kurzel's filmography as well because i think i think you can appreciate kelly gam but i think you appreciate it even more if you see it in the context of some of his other films as well um and yeah i just uh, I, I, and I'm desperate. I have been campaigning because I live in Los Angeles. Yeah. That, um, the the Cinematheque um, shows this film on the big screen because it, oh yeah. Um, because it didn't get the chance to be seen uh-huh. on the big screen at all in the US. There were like one or two drive-in showings in in April 2020, and that was it. Wow. Um, and and if you know, I feel this film really, really deserves to be seen on a big screen, and I'm desperate. <laughs> Uh, um, to, obviously, I would love to sort of introduce it or do a Q and A or something, but most of all, I just want to see the damn film on yeah. a big screen. So yeah, that, that's my little mini campaign at the moment. I love that. I love that campaign. <laughs> I love that you're championing it, and I'm so happy that you uh, introduced this film to me and brought it to my attention. I'm so happy to hear that. Um, do you want to let people know where they can find you and what you know how to? how to look you up and find your work 
Um, so you can always find me, <laughs> as most people do, on Twitter. Yes. Um, I, I am, like many people, I'm still clinging on to Twitter. Yes. Yeah, like mm. until the dying embers, <laughs> whatever happens with that site, I'm still there at the moment. So me too. Uh, I, it's just my name. My handle is my name, which is F at Fiona Underhill. And then my writing is mostly uh, new. I mostly cover entertainment news now for a site uh -huh. called the, the Digital Fix. But I also occasionally get to do reviews for them. Um, so I covered a Toronto Film Festival for them, for example. And then I also write for Slash Film sometimes as well. So th those are my two main sites is the Digital Fix and Slash Film. Awesome. Every everyone check it out because you are you're a fantastic writer. I love your insight. I love your uh opinions on clothes. I always look forward to when like an event happens and you share stuff about clothes. I'm like, oh, love it, give it to me. The best. Um thank, well, thank you. you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun getting to talk about something I'm so passionate about. I love, I love the passion. That's the best. <laughs> uh, well, you can find me at uh, schooled B, the letter B cinema uh, at um, on Twitter and schooled by cinema on Instagram. And thank you so much. Have a great day.